do I get better at this? How do I learn more things? Are there books I can read? Do I have to do programming to be a good programmer? Yes. Yes. Can we just use that recording right there and, and go with that? Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Ruby Rogues podcast. This is your host, Charles Maxwood. And this week's panel, we have uh, five awesome Ruby developers. Uh, first off, we have David Brady from Shiny Systems. Hello. Uh, we're we're going to do the self-introduction thing again. So uh, go ahead and tell us about yourself, Dave. Hi, I'm Dave, and I've been sober. For, or, I mean, I run Shiny Systems, and I've been programming Ruby for four or five years. I do the ADD Cast podcast with uh, Pat Maddox, and I can be found blogging on the internet at uh, heartmindcode.com and saying usually inappropriate things at uh, twitter.com slash dbrady. Or on the first 10 minutes of this recording. Yes. All right, go ahead, Avdi. All right, I am Avdi Grimm, and... Uh, I, I'm an independent software consultant, and I can be found at avdi.org, and I write a lot, and I don't know. You've probably seen it. All right. Uh, can you, ahead. like, edit that out? That is the worst intro ever. I hate these self-intros. No, keep it, keep it, because I'm going to keep crap about the fact that, Avdi, you could not get avdi.com. How many freaking avdis are there? It's it's taken by a company. It's, it's like a... It's you a, you know, oh, yeah, they're like, they're, their acronym is 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 AVDI. It's a it's a four letter it's a four letter TLD. That's right, and they're all taken. Okay, that's yeah. fair. All right, uh, we also have James Edward Gray. Yes, I'm here, and I'm going to introduce myself somehow. I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's J E G two. That's usually where I do most of my talking. Um, I have a blog, but I haven't updated it in a while. I have grand plans for it someday, you know, that uh, I'm going to fix it. Uh, so I, I won't pimp it until I do. Uh, and that's about it. All right. And Josh Susser. Okay. Hey. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, no matter what time zone you're in, it's afternoon here. Uh, so uh, I, I'm a San Franciscan. I'm a, uh, I guess you'd call me an entrepreneur these days. And, and things I've done that you probably don't care about uh, include um, I wrote the first binary object storage system in Smalltalk back in the 80s. Um, I uh, co-opted the Java Card Virtual Machine specification, which means that runs on the chip in your iPhone, among four or five billion other devices. And um, I co-authored a book on OpenDoc, which nobody ever used. I remember OpenDoc. Yeah. So. I remember it too, but I agree that I didn't use it. Yes. Okay, so enough about me. What's oh. our topic this week? Actually, uh, I'm going to introduce myself and then we'll get to uh, that. Oh, no. Do, do, you, you need no introduction. So. Oh, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> He's Chuck. <laughs> I, I'm Charles Maxwood. Um, I'm the host at teachmetocode.com uh, and railscoach.com. And I just put up uh, a beginning Ruby on Rails course. You can find it at railscoach.com. You just click on the Ruby on Rails course link, and it will take you there, tell you what it's about, and then you can sign up. All right. So the topic today, we were we were talking about uh, becoming a better developer, which I don't know if there are many broader topics in software development. Um, and uh, so to, uh, to steal Josh's thunder, do, can we get a definition? Yes, and I like it when Josh defines things, so perhaps we can start there. <laughs> oh, the tables, how they turn. Oh, you still got me, James. <laughs> so, so while we're talking about what does it mean to be a better programmer um, or a better developer, um, I, I don't know exactly what people care about. I think that one way of measuring that is that you can get the job that you want more because a lot of us uh, are developers for work. So I think being a developer, mean, being a better developer, means that you can do more of the work you like doing. But I think in, at a at another way of looking at it, it just means that you're more you're more skillful. You can deal with more kinds of problems, and uh, you're more uh, versatile. I love that the first 
half of the definition you gave was entirely sociopolitical and economical <laughs> rather than I mean it's that's a marketing statement that's not a do you know what I mean we've we've all worked with programmers who well if you, if you especially if you've worked with me um, who are you know overpaid and have just gigantic egos and couldn't code their way out of a paper bag um, I didn't well, want to say anything Dave but yeah yeah <laughs> thank you but well, uh, yeah I, I I think you got to speak to people's motivations and people really want to level up so that they can advance themselves in some way and for most of us that has to do with our careers oh boy this is gonna with I already have a fun side tangent already set up for us I, I, am a, I am a strong believer that salary is how you keep score and that's that's seriously and, and I've had people come to me and, and they say well we'll make you you know we'll give you this title and I'm like I don't keep score on that J you know you can pay me in money well what if we give you 70,000 shares of options I'm like how about if you give me $70,000 in dollars and because that's how I keep score and anyway I think that you you are kind of bringing up a relevant point in the sense that you know dollars is something that you can measure. Yeah. You know you you can if I stand you up next to uh, I don't know some other developer and uh, say which of you is the better developer. I mean that's one metric that you can definitely measure. Yep. I mean provided yep. that you and he are willing to disclose that information. Right. But it's it's interesting though. How accurate do we think that is? I mean. I've definitely known programmers that were making more than me at various periods, and I'm suspect on whether or not they were deserving of that or not. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think I think in some cases it means that they're better at selling themselves. That, yeah. That's going to come out really wrong. They, they, <laughs> I think it's exactly right. But but that's what it is. Is they're they're better at selling their abilities than you yeah. are if if they have a better salary than you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it, anyway, I don't want that to be too superbly distracting from the meat of the conversation that everyone's tuning in for but I, sure right but but i think need we some context yeah, yeah i i think though that we idealize it a little bit and we think that there's got to be like a better way of measuring it and so yeah. i'm kind of curious as to what methods you guys use to determine that guy is better than me or not as good as me or maybe better than me in this area and could learn something from me in this area i mean how do you gauge that so I have kind of a weird view of this. Uh, Josh sent a cool article, which was extremely practical and stuff, so I'll let him talk about that because that's probably the good answer. And I'll go ahead and give the bad answer. But uh, I find that when I'm actually comparing programmers, and, and maybe this is just me, but I, I like to watch and see when you run out of ideas because, to me, the hard part about programming, about doing... Uh, programming all the time is just ideas, right? I, I mean, you uh, you wake up and you have to start having ideas immediately, and it's it's you're not usually programming for ten minutes before something unexpected happens, and you need a new idea, and then you know you end up building that big feature, and you get about seventy five percent of the way there, and realize why your fundamental premise was flawed, and you'll need yep. to redo the whole thing, you know? Yep. And and it's to me. Programming is about how long can you keep the new ideas coming and how, how soon do you get flustered or how well can you come at it from a totally different angle. So wow. when I'm measuring somebody, I'm actually trying to watch and see how soon they run out of ideas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you violently, uh, James, meaning I'm gonna, it's going to sound like I disagree with you, but I think we're on exactly the same wavelength. Um, I don't, when I interview somebody... If I'm really trying to give them a technical interview, they will. I will run you out of ideas because I will. I'll run you all the way up to prove p equals np if I have to, um, in the in the thing. And it's not because I'm trying to find out how many ideas you have before you run out of ideas. Although that I think that's a fantastic measure of experience. Um, pe people ask me what's the difference between programming at 40 and programming at 20 and I, and I basically say it's kind of the same thing except that I forgot seven different ways to do everything um, but the real, going back to the ideas what's very very interesting to me and this is really key about developer skill is what do you do when you do run out of ideas um, Steve McConnell says debugging does not stop when you run out of answers he says debugging stops when you run out of questions. And so I love to run a, de a developer in an interview up against 
you know, how do you solve this problem? I don't know. Cool. Now we're ready to begin. You know. So what do you do with what do you do when you're out of ideas? And you know they're guaranteed to be there at some point, right? If you're oh, a yeah. programmer and you haven't run into the spot where you're out of ideas, then then you haven't done anything risky enough yet. Yeah. You know? If so. I run out of ideas every single day, and I I don't think it's because I'm dumb. I think it's because I'm particularly well balanced in a match against the kind of problems I'm trying to solve. That's that's an interesting uh, thing <laughs> to think about, really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to spell letter. I'm trying to spell words that have as many as seven letters in them. Um, I don't know about you guys, but that's pretty freaking hard. So, <laughs> so should we talk about the practical side that uh, in the article Josh sent? Josh, you want to tell us what it said? Um, well, yeah, I mean, this was uh, this was uh, actually tweeted around a lot. That's how I saw it. the The program is on uh, JasonRudolph.com. I mean the the post, and uh, it's it's a rather extensive list of very concrete uh, things to do, uh, kind of in the small to level up as a programmer. So, and this cool. is set up as programming achievements, and uh, I put the link in the in the Skype room there, so you should all be able to see it. And you know, it's things like learning all these different languages and writing all these different kinds of apps and various things. But I I think that the entire <clears throat> um, most of the article can be summed up in three words, practice, 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 which we all know is how you get better at doing something. I did like his, um, his somewhat empirical way of, of measuring things. He, he, um, he, made, he, he came up with some measures, some, some so-called so achievements, uh, like you might see on like you know Foursquare or like Xbox Live or something that are all pretty well measurable in in, a, in terms of like of yes no you know so they're not they're not terribly subjective uh, they're like you know yes I have programmed a significant system in Haskell or no I have not programmed a significant system in Haskell just as you know one example um, and I, I kind of like that that was it's it's so hard to find objective measures um, of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think it's also worth pointing out that programming is kind of a big umbrella. And, like, for example, the kinds of programming we do uh, really affects what we're expected to know at any given time. And while there's, you know, some things that come in handy in any level of programming, like, you know, being able to measure an algorithm and see why it's slow and and what kind of, you know, uh, way you would need to change it in order to, give it a reasonable chance of speeding up, but things like that can become handy in all aspects. But like, for example, if you're a web developer, you know, the odds are fairly good that you just don't need to write a binary search that often. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It probably doesn't come up in your day-to-day job. You know, as soon as you say that won't come up, <laughs> I, know, I know, yeah. Tomorrow I, I'll be sitting there going, God, how did I do binary search so, again? So, in two, so, in so two, James, James, I think that's a that's a great lead-in to an important point, and that's that while well, you you probably don't need to write a binary search or a quick sort or or any of those low-level things. I do think that familiarity with how those things are generally implemented is yeah. quite valuable. And while I I doubt any web developer is going to be writing assembly or, or machine code anytime soon, it's really valuable to have spent some time learning how to how to program a machine at that level so that when you run into the unknown frontier somewhere you have some of those fundamentals to fall back on so that you can have a, at least make some educated guesses about how something might be working or the cost of the implementation or what have you uh, you know there's a there's a dichotomy that 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 new programmers have and it's should i should i go dive down and learn the really deep stuff or should i say hi at architecture and learn this i've got to learn them both and there's almost like this trade-off of like the more low level I learn, I feel like I'm I'm giving up high level architecture. And I just now realized that those points are not in contention with each other because good programming is the ability to abstract well. And if you can't tell, if you haven't done low level programming, you can't tell low level programming from high level programming, and you'll <laughs> and you'll never be able to abstract well. So you need to learn both. Mm-hmm. I'm always amazed at. I'm always amazed at programmers that can, that are uh, sort of in awe of programmers who can remember things. Um, 
I get, I get tired of them sometimes. <laughs> I, like, because seriously, I'm, I'm like, how much, how much, how much RAM are you wasting in your head for architecture? <laughs> because but, you know, yeah. Anyway. I, okay, okay. I, so, I, um, so I have an, I have a, I have a, a horrifying example of that. I was once writing a graphics library with a classmate, and he typed in an entire font. You know all the bitmap glyphs just by typing in the hex codes in an editor. <laughs> oh, what? Man. No way! Absolutely, I watched him do it. Wow. So that's not right. And, so, and I. So my like, thinking on on that kind of thing, though, for me, like there are some things that I remember, but I have to build up quite a bit of context around it before I can remember it. Yeah. I just yeah. I I talk to people um, that like th- when I'm doing tutoring and stuff like that. I talk to people that think that sort of you know what makes someone a great programmer is that they can remember all this stuff you know and they like know the whole api of whatever they're whatever they're programming and um and they're kind of blown away when they realize you know when i actually pair program with them and they realize i basically like when i'm writing rails apps i'm sitting there with with you know the 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 documentation open i can't remember anything like like mm-hmm. if i if i unless i wrote you know, it, unless I, I wrote rendered partial uh, five seconds ago, I can't remember the order that the, the or like link to, <laughs> link to. If I unless yeah. I wrote, wrote link to somewhere up like two lines, I can't remember which order the arguments go in. Um, uh. it, forget it. Um, and like that's that's me for everything. All I all I try to do is is try to sort of leave a marker in my mind about where I found. A certain yeah. piece of information. I, I do that both in my mind, and I also do it um, with sort of external systems. So I probably have like ten thousand bookmarks all tagged up, um, and uh, you know, I just try to make sure that I know where to find information that I've seen before because I can't remember squat. I, I, have, I, would, to, I have to point out one of two things just happened for me. Okay. Either I just leveled up about eight levels because I just <laughs> realized that you guys don't remember this either, or you just leveled down about eight levels because I realized that you don't remember this either. It's the, well, the, the, the qu- it's, it's the, yeah, we le- we just leveled down. I, I'm going to go ahead and confess that 30% of my programming knowledge is just a an array of Google keywords. Um, but, like, seriously, if I need to validate something, I open Google and type Rails 3 validations and hit enter, and the first three links um, are the same first three links every time. And, and the, oh, and by the way, this is this is a little micro rant for anybody of you out there writing documentation that think you're good at writing documentation. You're not. Please stop. Yes, yes, yes. We need an example that will show us how something works, and then we can look at one or two examples, and that will show us how to read this new thing. All the Rails three validations out there, you can find five lines or ten lines on validations that will show you how to read the new validations. If you're going to document that effort, document it. Document all of it. Because I actually had to figure out how to do in the new Rails 3 mode, how do I validate color on category if it's the top category in a tree? In other words, only validate color if it's the root category. And none of the Rails 3 validation documentation that I could find in less than 15 minutes, in the first 15 minutes of searching, none of them documented where you put the, the colon if in that clause. And that's maddening. Stop that. If you're going to document it, document a few examples, and then write the exhaustive documentation. There's there's documentation that will show somebody how to read it, but then I and like Avdi, I'm sure you felt this pain as well. I need you to please, please, please write enough documentation so that I can turn around and write new code based on what this is. That's not just a copy of your example. Yeah. I I definitely agree. I handle it pretty much the same way. In a lot of cases. I'm familiar with something to the level where I can point to which textbook it's in. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you can find it quickly. You know where the so trailhead we, is. Yeah. So 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 uh, you're saying that uh, Google skills is the best way to level up as a developer. I honestly, and I, I said way. this a few I said this a few minutes ago, and I, I will say it again because it's really really valid. The difference between a guy who's been programming for 20 years and a guy who's been programming for two is how many ways you have forgotten how to do something. 
people will ask me, how are we going to sort this data or sift this data? And I mean, I can think of 17 different sorting algorithms. Well, okay, I can think of three, and there's 14 more that I can dig out of my long-term memory and, and, and that kind of thing. And there's trade-offs between them, and some work really well, and some don't. And some are, some are really great, but they're not applicable to this situation. And that is how you level up as a developer, is go go learn something. Go do, go do something crazy. Go go do what we did at URUG last month uh, up in Salt Lake, where uh, we tried to write the Ruby, get through the Ruby koans um, by <laughs> monkey patching uh, and ju- just getting out the crowbar without without making any of the tests pass. How badly did we need to uh, lobotomize Ruby and test unit in order to make the koans pass as written originally with without any of the answers filled in? And it took us about till about one o'clock in the morning um, to get it all done. Why would you do that? That's stupid. That's crazy. That's weird. Except that you come back the next day to your regular work with this whole new crazy weird insight into good programming, and and also there's now this kind of this weird funky lockpick crowbar in your back pocket that. Someday I might need to shiv some code in a back alley, and I I've, I've got the shiv to do it now. <laughs> yeah, I wanna I wanna jump in here too. I've been working on um, my conference talk. I'm speaking at uh, Rocky Mountain Ruby conference in about awesome. two weeks, and um, I've been working on this stuff with Cassandra and uh, built. I, I've basically started building an ORM, you know, that just does basic stuff that I want it to do. Um, I later discovered that there are a couple of ORMs out there in Ruby for Cassandra, but um, I'm going to keep working on mine because I just I keep learning new stuff. And yeah. really, you know, you you go out there and you you get into something that you know nothing about, and start building and working on it and and playing with it and and learning what the problems are and learning why this works this way and why uh, why you may want to do this other thing that way. And oh, there's a library out there that makes this easy and. You know, and so you start to really learn some of the uh, internals and effects of what's going on, and uh, that kind of a challenge has really—I think—I've leveled up a ton over the last two weeks just working on this project. Yes, and, and I think I think that's one of those things. And I think um, Josh really hit it on the head when he said practice, because that's really what this is. I mean, I'm not practicing anything that I'm directly going to use with any of my clients anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But it's it's that challenge, it's that solving problems and, and practicing, you know, learning and practicing solving solving problems really, and and building mm-hmm. those abstractions that makes the big difference. Can I give you a piece of advice, Chuck? Sure. Um, when you give your talk, don't go to the talk and say um, there are a bunch of other ORMs and here's another one you can take mine and use it. Go have fun. Don't do that. Basically, say I learned all about Cassandra by writing an ORM. Here's how you can write an ORM and then walk through the exploration of the of the ORM and then basically tell people, yeah, okay, here it is on GitHub. You can take it, but don't use it. Use it as a reference manual and write your own uh-huh. so that the next time you ever have to work with an ORM, whether it's Mongoid or Active Record or or Mongo Mapper or Data Mapper or whatever, because you had to write one, because you had to know how to chain queries together, because you had to learn how to you know extend the array in Ruby? That's really easy. But I mean, because you had to work the weird edge cases on that kata, you now know a whole bunch more about how to program uh, in you know in in real stuff. Not that what you're doing isn't real, but I mean, it's you know what I'm saying that, uh-huh. that it's it's valuable. And don't don't cheat don't cheat them out of the exercise. So so. So that sounds cool. I want to build on the on the practice thing a bit, though, because mm-hmm. I, I think there's there's two things that you level up on when you practice. One is um, you know knowledge and information and skills, mm-hmm. but the other is habits. And yeah. you know what, one of the the quotes people like to toss around is Kent Beck talking about being a great programmer, and he says he says something on the order of I'm not a great programmer. I'm a pretty good programmer with really great habits. Nice. And. And you know, having spent the last four years or so working at Pivotal, I know that you know so much of productivity and performance is just related to you know, following good habits rather than bad habits. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, write your now, test first, that kind of yeah, thing. So I'm going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, can we reduce programming and good programming to just a set of good habits that we can just say, well, just do it this way. Always write your test first, and just down the road you go. 
No, I don't think you can. And I, I was actually thinking about this earlier when you guys were talking about Google. Like, there are definitely two different people that use Google. For example, I would use it. I will usually know where I'm going and what, what reference I'm looking for. And I'll pull something out of it. And then I, I will modify it to fit what I'm currently doing. And that's the difference between me and there's another class of people that I see use Google and they Google it and they copy and paste that solution and and that's it. That's where their skill level ends. And they're not able to say, oh yeah, that's kind of like what I'm doing, but it's not exactly what I'm doing. And they're not able to rearrange that code, remold it to fit in that section. Yes, uh, and I think there's I a, think. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say I think there's a fine line um, between uh, habit and instinct. I think maybe this this yes. fits in a bit with with what you're saying, James. Um, you know, habit. I mean, habit will will sometimes help you, um, especially it'll help you getting through some of the more tedious aspects of work. Um, but instinct is. When you see a problem and some sub-process that you've just internalized in your mind spots a pattern and and decides how to go forward. Yes. Uh, whereas habit is, you know, you're in the habit of using singletons everywhere, you know, and, and so you just do it some more. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 a subtle but very I think very important difference. I thank you for saying that, Audi. The the my comment about you need to forget five ways to write this sorting algorithm. I would define. I would define this is just in 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 the David Brady namespace. I'm not saying anybody else has to take this definition, but I define instinct to be the the gestalt of your forgotten habits. Um, somebody says, "How do we solve this problem?" And your instinct leads you in a certain direction, and it's because you've forgotten five different ways to solve this problem. And one of them's really appropriate for this particular solution, but it might not be the first thing that comes to mind. So, yeah, that's well, oh, for me. Well, one thing that uh, really stuck out to me because I just listened to the the Lone Star Ruby conference version or episode um, yesterday, and uh, somebody said something about I'm a programmer, so I pattern matched and. And James stepped in and said, "You're a human, so you pattern matched." And yeah, and and really, that's what we're talking about here with with the instinct is that we are we are matching up something with what we've experienced, and so yes. we're recognizing a pattern in what we're dealing with, and and you know, since we're matching that up, we can then match the solution up, yeah. um, or at least match something up and then adapt it. And with with the habit, you're not. You're you're not making any choice at all. You're you're just implementing a pattern over and over and over without mm-hmm. paying any attention to whether or not it's the right answer. Uh, none is not well. Maybe, maybe if you're doing it, it it's kind of like foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of of little minds. Um, I heard a, a, an even better version of that recently, which is um, the only truly consistent people are dead. Um, the Test first, I think, is a brilliant habit. I think everybody should be in it. I think you'll write better code. I think you'll write more modular code. It'll be more testable. Yada, yada, yada. I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> Congregations that way. I understand. But if you sit down and you write... Everybody I know that hates Cucumber writes really lousy Cucumber specs. They write, <laughs> they write Cucumber specs that say, I go to this page, I look for this font, I click for click on this exact link, which has this exact test. Their, their, hot, their top-level top feature is a 1,000 lines long when their top-level feature should be a user story that basically says, when I add an item to my, you know, when I put an item in my cart, then it should be in my cart. And that's the whole feature. And, ooh, I'm going to have to you invent have to- some stuff. You, know? you have to constantly be mindful of of the reason for your habits. Yes. And I just realized I went off on a total cucumber tangent, so I'm just going to stop there. No. Cucumber's I good. Throw something, I want to throw something out, and, and I'm, I'm not sure if there's a good transition from that to this, but there's something that's been on my mind lately. Um, okay, engage the clutch. <laughs> We're going to shift gears. Um, with, with regard to this topic of, of improving as a developer... Um, and that's the the concept of of confessional, um, and 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 where that comes from is is realizing that I think a huge part of 
improving as a program, improving as anything really, uh, is the ability to introspect and and the ability to you know honestly evaluate uh, the mistakes that you've made, particularly. And um, and and I'm I just think it's it's incredibly important. Um, we do this a little bit in projects uh, in the form of of agile retrospectives sometimes, but to sort of look back um, at your history and say, um, you know, what are the what are the mistakes that I seem to make over and over again? Like, you know, um, I, you know, I personally, I have a bad habit, or I, I think I'm getting better at it, but but in the past, I've I've really, um, I've over over architected things in my mind. You know, I've 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 spent you know way too much time thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to completely generalize this and completely abstract it to to a system that can be you know that's that's that can be adapted to any possible situation. Um, and that was a sort of a consistent sin of mine, and uh, and sort of realizing that was a big was was a big step forward. So I don't so, know. I want to get your your guys' thoughts on that. Well, the, so there's there's something called the Dunning Kruger effect, which yes. is uh, in the realm of metacognitive awareness. And I think the best way of phrasing it is what Bertrand Russell said, which was, "People with the world is that the stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are full of doubt." There yes, does yeah. sound kind of cocksure in that, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That joke's from Lone Star. It's not mine. So, um, can no, we talk the, about cocksure on a clean podcast? Depends. It's Bertrand Russell. You can always talk about it. Okay. <laughs> the, yep. the, the, no, it, it, I, I think that what Avdi was saying is is uh, is spot on. That there's you you need a, a certain level of self awareness about your own ability level to know that you're not as good as you could be and that you want to level up. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I mean, if you look back at code you wrote six months ago and it doesn't bother you in some way, then yeah. that's probably a warning sign. You, you know, you are if, not learning. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, obviously, you you do. We always go forward. I said in my Lone Star keynote that we go forward with the best information we have at any given time, and it's all subject to revision. You know, because. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I was doing it this way because, and I had a reason, you know. But then a lot of times you'll get down the road and they'll be like, um, yeah, that's nice, James, but actually due to certain changes, that reason hasn't applied for, you know, years now, and you can go ahead and let it go, you know. And, yeah. and that's right. That's true. You know, you get to the point where you're like, oh, yeah, the reason I had for doing that doesn't really matter anymore. And yeah, which, why do we chop the ends off the pot roast? Um, right, yeah. exactly. Because it wouldn't fit in grandmother's pan, yeah. <laughs> right, so it, it, you kind of have to constantly be uh, checking yourself out. I definitely agree with that. I mean, and and all the time we make mistakes in all kinds of form. You know, I, I made a huge mistake today just uh, and just that somebody saw some uh, piece of a site that wasn't ready to be seen. And uh, I, I thought it would be okay, but and, and realizing now after the way it all went down, that their reaction to it was very bad, and that was my fault for letting them see that when it wasn't ready. And ironically, everything they listed is trivial, you know, move this button here, you know, stuff that yeah. we do in the final cleanup phases of, yep. a, of a site, you know, and I was much more focused on the overall picture and the core of it being solid so that I can yeah. do those little things, you know, and yeah. and uh, it's it's lesson learned and I don't need to make that mistake again. But yeah, you always need to be, you know, measuring and introspecting and saying, you know, am I improving uh, as a programmer? Yeah. I think now, that's very true. Now, I want to jump in here because you, you kind of touched on another thing that I've been thinking about. You you know, you, you've had these situations where, you know, you put something out that wasn't quite ready and that's not necessarily a coding mistake. It's mm -hmm. a mistake, but it's not a coding mistake. Right. And so, I mean, how many of these things that make us better developers have nothing to do with our code? I mean, you know, for example, if I'm working on a team, if I'm not a good communicator, I have a problem and it has nothing to do with my ability to program it has right. everything to do with my ability to to interact with my teammates or if I'm yeah. a jerk or if I smell bad or if I have some of these other problems, you know, the, you know, it affects my ability on the team. And, you know, are there other abilities or qualities of a programmer or developer that make them a better developer that aren't directly related to their code? Well, uh, of course. And one of the, one of the things that 
you know, Rob Muse, the founder, founder of Pivotal Labs, talks about in hiring is that the number one quality that they select for at Pivotal is empathy. Interesting. That's and, very cool. Yeah. So, and, and that's because at Pivotal you spend all day pair programming all the time, wow. and, and if you and, and if you don't have some ability to understand that your actions affect your pair and how how they might do that, you know, you need empathy for that. If you don't have that, you're not going to be very successful in that environment. If if any pivots are listening, I feel so great about he- hearing that. I just want you to know that. <laughs> so. Pivots. That's awesome. Yes. Um, I, I, I'm so glad Chuck brought this up because uh, one of the questions, and I think it's a great question. We probably ought to go around the horn on it, but uh, we took this topic off of our user suggestions. And um, one of the questions in there was, if you could only give a developer a few pieces of advice, uh, what would you give them? And if I had to pick those, uh, I, I'm sure I would have a few things to say about programming. We've already been talking about that a lot. But I definitely items that would make my list would be become a better communicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's because we often forget this, but people usually say things like, oh, I, I work with machines, not humans. And if you're a programmer and you think you work mm-hmm. with machines, then you don't understand programming. That's right. Because you're building software for humans. Yep. And if you can't communicate with humans, even if you can't communicate with other programmers, then you're, you're not there. You know, And I think some of the things I did that really helped me as a programmer is I wrote a book, you know, and learned how to go through that process. Or I, um, I have given several speeches at conferences, which is very difficult for me. It takes a, a lot of time and preparation to say what I want to say and, and learn enough to be able to cover a topic and not feel like I'm, you know, going to get up there and sound like an idiot or something like that. And in doing those things, I'm learning about how we teach people or, uh, you know, why people think the things they think or stuff like that. And I think that's very valuable. And the other thing I would, I would put on the list is to learn from other fields. Like I, I really enjoy studying like how the human brain works and the problems that it commonly runs into. And I find that that's all totally applicable to my programming every day, you know, that we get in these uh, you know, brain loops where we can't see past and that affects our programming. My earlier example of someone seeing a site that's not finished, you know, they see a button in a wrong place and they think, oh my God, this is a four-alarm crisis. And you're like, it's a button, you know, it's a copy and paste and it goes where I want. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. Um, but it, it's these these things that we're programmed to see that is false. Yeah. In fact, yeah. let's, let's go around the horn and, and answer that because... I think we all offer a little bit different perspective, and I think there's some value there. So uh, we'll we'll have uh, Avdi go next, and and give us just two or three uh, pieces of pieces of advice for us to get better as programmers. Oh boy, just two or three. Yeah, that's um, all. <laughs> the big one is practice. I mean, you know, if you want to get good at something, do it. Do it. Do it a lot. Um, do it in your free time. Do it. Uh, for work, mm-hmm. um, actually, getting paid to do to do it is is it isn't just a necessity. Um, it's also it's a vital part of understanding sort of the practical aspect of of you know getting stuff done on time as opposed to just playing around. Yeah. Um, and uh, read, obviously. Um, I I don't know if I should just list off books because there's a long list, but you know, read the classics, read Code Complete. Uh, yeah. Read a pragmatic programmer. Read uh, the practice of programming, um, and uh, um, and and work and read other people's co- work with other people and read their code. That's I guess that's the third thing is is put yourself in positions where you're going to see see other people coding or see other people's code. All right. Cool. Um, yeah, those, that's great advice. Um, I'm a little curious because practice keeps coming up, so uh, I'm going to tangent just for a second. Um, what what ways do you guys practice? Is it just working on personal projects, or do you do other like code katas or code challenges? Or actually, Chuck, if you want to let me go around the horn next, um, I'm going to address that exact thing. Okay, go ahead, Dave. Okay, so the short version is uh, never stop playing, never stop learning, and never stop failing, and never stop until you succeed. Um, and to expand those out, 
um, the playing means, yeah, if you if you just program from eight to five and then go home and don't program, um, you're you're going to get left behind by the programmers who go home and stay up all night hacking and thinking about algorithms. I'm sorry, but it's a fact of life that, that the people who love it and 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 just immerse themselves in it are going to do better at it. Um, there's two specific bits of brain science um, that have been brought to my attention, one in the past year and one in the past week. Um, and that is, uh, I, I've recommended Learned Optimism before as a pick. Um, if, if you fail, get back up and try again. Never stop failing. Never stop. And don't be afraid to fail um, because if you, you know, do some weird ass thing where you decide to do a sort, but you're going to sort by random. But you're going to figure out how to seed the random number generator so that the sort still works. Try to figure that out. Try to find some crazy way to do that. Why Why do that? You're going to fail a lot. It's going to be stupid when you're done. But you will have learned a whole bunch from it. And that's what will make you better is, is giving yourself the freedom to fail, to explore. If, if you're not free to fail, you are not free to be creative and to brainstorm and to grow. And so that's that's about that's failing. And if you have trouble with failure, if you're so focused on I got a ship, I got a ship, I got a ship, that you can't do anything any other way than the way you've always done it, please do yourself a favor and go read Learned Optimism. Um, the bit about don't stop until you find success, and this is this is related to play because when you when you when you play. Um, the the pressure to ship something perfect is off and you can you can be playing and suddenly discover something that oh wow look at that 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 actually works you know you pull down a book like hacker's delight that will show you all the different ways to do bitwise flip-flops and bitwise ors and how to do addition and division um using bit shifting and and, and those kind of games and you discover these weird weird things um and you can only discover them by playing and not having a directed goal that you're trying to get to and the last bit about success is this is the recent brain science. Um, MIT discovered that you do not learn from failure, um, at least not at the neuronal wi- brain wiring level. If you screw, and this is a beautiful thing in the human brain, if you screw up, um, you're trying to do something and you screw it up, your brain says, well, that didn't work. Eh, whatever. Put it in the hippocampus, store it in long-term memory. We'll remember this as, a, as hard-won experience, um, but we're not actually going to rewire anything. Um, but if you do something and you succeed, even it's by accident because you were playing and you stumbled across it, the brain goes, oh, wow, look at this. Rewire for that. And your neurons suddenly just, they, they change. You actually form new synapses based around that bit of success. That is why you have to play. That is why you have to immerse yourself. That is why you have to go do weird-ass things like trying to make the koans pass by breaking test unit instead of actually making the koans pass. That is why you have to explore and brainstorm and why it's okay to not remember the entire API of of a given thing because you're going to go out there and explore and do – so, yeah, that's my advice. Never stop playing, never stop learning, never stop failing, and never stop succeeding. Uh, Chuck, does that answer the specific concerns that you had? Uh, yeah, uh, to a certain degree it does. Okay, thought, anybody else thought, can, can take a shot. I thought it was interesting that, um, just sidetrack here real quick and then we'll actually let Josh go. Um, I usually like to cut Josh off if nobody's noticed that. Yeah, I think we're keeping score and you know, <laughs> it, some interested reader can just send that in. You, um, didn't, you didn't cut him off at the beginning of the podcast. You pushed them out good, in front of everyone that's else. That's a good point. I shoved him under the uh, under that's the right. rail. That's right. Um, I'm just the punching bag. It's okay. It's, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, anyways, I was going to say that about the practicing thing, I thought it was very interesting when I was listening to us earlier when I was like, um, when everyone was talking about, oh, yeah, you know, go just write your own ORM or something like that to learn it and it's funny how we all seem to agree on that and it was we were recommending something that goes pretty contrary to a well-known computer rule right uh, that uh, don't reinvent the wheel but the point was that that we weren't using it to invent a new ORM That's we were right. using it to fix our mind right we were using mm-hmm. it to fix something in our mind that mm-hmm. like if you go and read about the two ORMs that are available for this system and one of them says, you know, has X, Y, Z feature on the bullet point list, you may not even know what that is, you know, because you may not understand 
how the underlying system works and why right. that feature would be key, you know, mm-hmm. and until you've been in that situation and been forced up against that, and they're like, oh, that's why that's so smart, you know, and and I, I would extend it by saying, yes, you should definitely try to wrap a library or something one time, and then after you do, you should go look at the others and figure out figure out the parts that you got right and the parts where they do better, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're figuring out how that how they interacted with that system, right? Given the same canvas, you guys painted different pictures, you know, and you have to figure out well what parts of mine were superior and what parts of theirs were superior and yeah. what did I what did I internalize from this? And yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think practice is very important and that's the reason I'm a massive supporter of uh, code katas and the like, which will be no surprise. I ran the Ruby quiz for three years, but that yep. uh, I'm I'm a firm believer in you know uh, st- sit down someday and write a recursive descent parser for JSON. It's not that hard, you know. It's something that we totally mystify. You can do it in uh, you can definitely do it in less than two hundred lines of Ruby. It's just yep. not that hard, you know. So you need to do these things to learn how something like that works. Okay, and now back to our previously scheduled program and Josh's answer. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Great. Josh. Wow, what a buildup. Okay, so uh, I think the number one thing I'd say for uh, for learning skills around being a programmer is to pair program. Uh, and I've talked about pair pro- programming a lot, and I think it's a it's a really great way to transmit information. And there's so much that can be uncovered just sitting side by side with someone or across a table at each other if you're lucky enough to have a good setup. Uh, and, uh, but just having, having uh, that back and forth where somebody's watching what you're doing and, and when, when two people are pairing together and they've, they've gotten used to each other and they've developed a little trust, it, you can almost read each other's minds after a while and you can, you can yeah. see how other people think through problems. And that's really great when you get to that point because suddenly you have something to contrast to your own thinking. So mm-hmm. I, I, I could talk about pair programming a lot. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave that out there as a really good technique for practicing and learning skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other thing I totally that, agree. Yeah. So, so um, the other thing I'll, I'll say kind of the opposite end of the spectrum is um, care about something. That, yeah. that most of the most of the the most awesome programming that I've seen has been in service of solving a problem that the programmer really cared about. That's a great answer. Yeah. Yes. In fact, yes. that's that's something that you see not just in coding but in a lot of other things. And and Dave actually touched on that a little bit, saying the guys that go home and, and do it, you know, are, are gonna yeah. go ahead because they care. And you know, I, I, there are a lot of people out there that I've I've talked to that just hate their jobs and hate their life and hate whatever, and and that's exactly it. Is they wind up spending all their time doing something that they hate, that they don't care about, and you yeah. know they go home and they do the thing that they care about. And you know, if you can if you can apply that to your coding, you know, even if coding isn't your deep passion, but maybe you know some humanitarian effort or something is, and so you can basically. Um, become a better programmer by uh, channeling that caring through or that passion through the programming you know you you become better that way it, it, it absolutely but it doesn't have to be all noble stuff like that right I mean, some right. some of the more interesting stuff that I learned early on was you know figuring out how to prank people <laughs> you, know, I, you know I was That's working awesome. You know, working in Smalltalk, building a uh, two-button dialogue confirmation box that would move out of the way whenever you tried to click the OK button. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I really cared about pranking this guy, and you know, I learned a lot of stuff about how event handling worked in Smalltalk. So it doesn't have to be something noble and upstanding and going to change the world. Just find something that you care about that yes. is going to motivate you to write something awesome. There's a beautiful piece of advice that I was given when I was working at a video game company. I, I was having a really bad day, and one of my coworkers came by, and, and we were writing a video game. It wasn't a very good one, but we, but it was, honest to goodness, a video game. And he saw that I was very frustrated. I was very upset. I was writing kind of some Tourette's code, and he stopped me, and he said, Dude, if you're not having fun, 
you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and I realized that he wasn't talking about video games or video game programming. He was talking about programming. It's the same exact thing. You can get into writing a database mapper, and you might think it's boring. But you know, if you if you're passionate about that, it's fun to write a cache, a cacher around a SQL database, trying to figure out how to take an object oriented. That's the impedance mismatch problem. That's really hard. I've got this relational database. It's very formalistic. I've got this object model that's very hermeneutic. How do I make them talk to each other effectively and efficiently under most conditions? That's interesting. That's fun. And if you think it's boring, work on something else. Find something that is interesting and fun. Yeah. It's true. And you wouldn't believe how sometimes, like, the strangest things can matter. Like, I was working on a programming contest one time with a bunch of guys, and somebody commented about how, you know, we write totally different code in programming contests than we do in our day jobs for what we get paid money to, which is totally right. I mean, I said before, I never need my algorithm knowledge, you know, or rarely in my uh, web programming job, and that's true, but I need it all the time when I'm programming a programming contest, of course. And, um, Somebody made a comment about, yeah, we never put in a comment explaining something or something like that. So, and it was a long contest, and we were all, you know, winding down and really, really kind of burning out. And um, I took a few minutes and wrote a stupid script that uh, went and parsed this Firefly Quotes website. And then I made a keyboard shortcut where anytime in the code I could just hit a key combination and it would dump a Firefly quote in right where I was in a <laughs> comment. Awesome. <laughs> and it would just format as a comment. So I started littering the code base with Firefly quotes and comments. And it's hilarious. I mean, it, you know, no practical value whatsoever. It was an easy uh, use, or I guess we should say abuse of my skills, you know, but it really had an effect on morale, you know, that, that people were reading through it and they gave me so much crap for all the Firefly quotes that were stuck in places and stuff. It's, yeah. it's funny, you, you know, what that does. And right. you were you were motivated. Your team gelled. Everybody laughed. There was fun to be had. Go back to the part where you said there's no practical value. There was no practical value predictable from that exercise. Yeah. It wasn't until you played and discovered. Yeah. Yeah. All okay. Right, so well, I got I got I got one last thing. Okay. And that's just in the domain of things that you could problem sets you can tackle to level up, and. I think that writing a, a language interpreter or a virtual machine is gonna is gonna get you more bang for your buck in terms of the kind of things that you have to learn than pretty much I, anything else. I call that exact task in programming. I refer that to to it as building your light your first lightsaber. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically it. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, when when you've gotten to the point where you can write a language runtime, uh, you know, you're now a master. So. Yes. I agree with that, and just to add to that, it, um, I, I think that'll scare a lot of people off in that, you know, you look at that and you think, wow, that's a really scary, hard task. And um, it's actually not as ridiculously hard as it sounds, and in fact, there's easy ways to ease into it. For example, um, the, I was talking about programming contests before. One of the ones I usually do is the ICFP programming contest every year, which is the International Conference for Functional Programming. Um, but they let they let everybody compete, and and you can learn lots of interesting stuff. The problems are usually fairly good size. It's usually you know like twelve fifteen pages printed, and you read it, and you get seventy two hours to work on it, etc. If you go back, I can't remember what year it is, but if you go to the ICFP site, uh, then and go backwards, they always have all the years on there. And um, if you look back, there was one year. Uh, that uh, it was an ant problem. You had to program a colony of ants uh, moving around and uh, fighting against each other. And um, that, the simulator is effectively a virtual machine. And the way the ants uh, communicate is basically assembler. So uh, you, you can use, you can have a good time, play a game, and learn the stuff at the same time. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. I'm going to go ahead and give my advice. And then we're probably going to have to get into the picks because I think we're already going to go over. Um, so my advice, first off, is just don't don't undersell what you can do. Um, I think a lot of people think, well, I need to level up. I need to level up, and they they forget that you know there are a lot of things that they can do that they do well. And um, if you if you're confident in what you can do, then that that kind of sets the stage for the things that you want to learn. And, and so, you know, just getting a clear idea of where you're at 
and, and being confident in what you can do. And the other thing is, and, and this goes along with what Josh said, um, the, the second idea that I have is just tackle the hard problems. You know, just, just pick something that you really don't know anything about and then go learn about it, figure it out, and program against it. Um, and finally, uh, the last thing is is that, uh, you know, go find the developers that are kind of the few levels ahead of you and, and get to know them because I think you'll be surprised both at what they have to offer and you'll also be surprised at uh, at where they're at in, in some areas and some of the things that, you know, you, you kind of idealize somebody until you get to know them and then you start to figure out where, where some of their problems are. So, you know, that that's kind of where, where I think, you know, as I've gotten to know you guys, you know, I, I get a better idea of where you're at. I don't think that you're geniuses that can do just anything, but but I know that you're really good at some things. Yeah. Chuck, I can choke you with the force from here. <laughs> I've seen him do it. I'm I'm a little worried about that actually, James. <laughs> so anyway, um, so let's go ahead and jump into the picks, unless there's something else that somebody wants to jump in and and share real quick. Uh, do you want to talk about the book club before the picks or after the picks? Um, I was during gonna, the I, picks. I'll cover it. Okay, yeah. great. Uh, yeah, I was going to bring it up at the very end, but if somebody brought it up beforehand, we were just gonna. We're just going to talk about it. Okay, we'll, then, so. we'll, we'll let James deal with it then. Okay. So um, the picks, again, you know, real briefly are just things that uh, we like or, you know, have found useful in, in what we're doing. Um, they can be programming or not programming related. And so I will just go ahead and uh, let, let James go first since he has some idea of what he wants to talk about. Okay, so I was going to say uh, for my pick this week, I'm sure this is going to come off as cheesy, but uh, I realize how really important it is to me. Uh, and I'm going to recommend the Pragmatic Programmers. Um, mm. And just, they had a sale last week, so I, I realized that this recommendation is a little late. Uh, sorry. But uh, they had a sale last week that was like 40% off, I think. And oh, I went man. back and I saw Avdi and I discussing like, we're, we've gone so far down the rabbit hole. I, I mean, it's like they're basically like our crack dealers at this point, and they need to start putting, you know, check marks on which books we've bought because we have so many of them, you know, that like we go into that wall of books and it's like, yep, got that one, that one, that one. <laughs> I, need, I need that, you know. And um, I, I, I used to read a ton of Ruby books, um, and I mean a ton. I, they, in fact, I would say maybe two years ago, if you asked me about any Ruby book that was released at that time, I most likely read it. And then I kind of got burned out on them for a while. Uh, just I, I think I overdid it myself. It wasn't anything wrong with the books, but I kind of got burned out from, on them for a while, and I went and studied other things I've talked about before, like how the brain works and stuff like that, and communication and those kind of things that helped me get to be a better programmer. And then the other thing I'm going to recommend is uh, it wasn't until I was at Lone Star, uh, just, you know, this last weekend or week before, um, what, uh, that I really got back into reading Ruby stuff. And I definitely have my fellow uh, Ruby rogue Avdi Grimm to thank for that because I went and saw his exceptional Ruby talk uh, at Lone Star. And if you haven't seen that, you need to go see it right now. I mean, just look up where Avdi's going to be. I think you'll be at Ruby Midwest. Go ahead and get your flight, get your ticket, and go. Because he he does a great job. He takes, like, a seemingly boring topic, like exceptions in Ruby, and and uses them to teach you just some amazingly great Ruby uh, that, you know, people don't know about or don't see very often. I learned things sitting in Avdi's talk. It was great. So... Um, and he has other things, his blog, uh, which he is posting to all the time now. And I learned something new from his blog today. So, uh, you know, I can't stress enough. And, uh, so because of that, we've been talking about it and we're going to start up a, uh, Ruby Rogues book club and try to see if we can get that going where we discuss a book, uh, on the show every so often. And, uh, we're going to start with Avdi's exceptional Ruby book, um, which is a great read. It's a, like a 90-page PDF, so it flies by. And uh, I triple-dog dare you to read that book and not learn three amazing things about Ruby you never knew. So 
Uh, it's a great book, and we're going to read it and discuss it on the show on September 8th. So if you want to follow along, you can pick it up and read. So I'm recommending uh, The Pragmatic Programmers, Avdi Graham in Every Form, and Exceptional Ruby. Should we uh, have the readers that uh, read Exceptional Ruby in advance have them uh, post questions and comments to the, the, the show before we do the show? Yeah, That's absolutely. A good idea. That's a good idea. That would be good. So it's like a global book club. If you want to be in the book club, get the book. Yeah, in fact, um, I'll go ahead and uh, I'll, I'll find a way of putting something out there so that uh, people have a way of uh, contributing to that. Um, I'm not sure what form that'll take, but I'll put a link to it in the show notes as soon as I have it up. And uh, that way we can we can definitely tackle some of those questions as you're reading uh, the book. Yeah. All right. Well, since Avdi was so... Uh, uh, I, I don't know what I don't know what the word is. He was he was picked, I guess. <laughs> he can go next. <laughs> well, James, first of all, thank you, thank you so much for for en- all the kind kind words. Enshrined, um, I think, is the word we're looking for there. That's and right. uh, um, I had some other picks in mind, but I do want to say, um, uh, you know, I I write, I try to write and speak about the things that really uh, in in the kind of style that really um, inspired me. Um, in learning about this stuff and, um, and, and James, you know, I hate, I don't want this to turn into this giant, like, like, uh, disgusting love fest, but, but James, um, blog has always been, um, one of the best ones out there on Ruby because it does the exact kind of thing that I like, which is dive really deeply into a topic. And like, I, I was telling him the other, the other day, um, uh, I still refer back to his article on struct, struct in in the Ruby standard library, which is it's just this like everything you ever um, didn't realize you, that you really wanted to know about structs, um, and uh, you know look that up. So I guess that's I guess that's that's become one of my picks um, for today. Um, the other.